Well, our congregation is getting a workout in its pronunciation of New Testament words and places. And Sherry and Adrian, thank you very much this morning. Some of you have been coming up to me this morning and asking me what my favorite color is. And if this whole thing about Lydia and being a dealer of purple cloth is maybe just an excuse to have people wear my favorite color. And uh, I'm afraid I'm guilty as charged. (laughs) Let's pray together. Dear God, on this beautiful morning, we ask for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would open our ears to hear Open our eyes to see you. Open our hearts to receive you. And open our hands to share you with others. And it's in Christ's name that we pray the one through whom we have come to know you and to love you. Amen. It's a clear morning in Philippi, and the rising sun slowly illuminates first the Acropolis high up on the mountain that is over Philippi, and then the sun comes down and illuminates the Basilica, the Forum, and the theater down below. And in this early light, we can see four individuals. Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke, walking down Philippi's main road, which is called the Via Ignatia. They've just come here from Asia Minor, from Turkey, by boat, drawn here by a strange vision of a Macedonian man, a Greek man, who is calling them to come over from Asia Minor to the European continent. Now today, this morning, is the Sabbath. And it is their usual habit or custom to go find a synagogue to worship in. But the thing is, is that Philippi has such a small Jewish population that there is no synagogue. And so instead... They head out the city gate to a place of prayer by the river where a group of women gathers regularly to recite scripture and to sing and worship God together. And as these four visitors join this group, beams of sunlight bounce off the surface of the river and flicker on their faces. And the sound of moving water refreshes their spirits. Now, when you get two groups of strangers coming together, the leaders in these groups invariably have a way of finding each other. And sure enough, Paul and Lydia are soon talking together. And it turns out that Lydia is a Gentile. 
from the city of Thyatira, which is over in Ephesus in what is today Turkey. She's a woman of considerable means and ability. She wouldn't be all the way over in Philippi if that weren't so. She's a gifted entrepreneur who sells the splendid purple cloth for which her hometown is famous. She's also, interestingly, a worshiper of God. Now think about this a little bit. There's no synagogue in Philippi, but she's a worshiper of God, someone not yet converted to the Jewish faith, but already actively seeking and serving God. We don't know exactly what Paul says to Lydia down there at the river today. But we do know what Paul shares with the folks in Philippi a little bit later in his letter to them. Philippians 2, which we heard as our call to worship today. In this passage, and we can imagine him sharing the same words with Lydia about a God whose very nature is to open-handedly give. God's lavish generosity takes on human flesh in Jesus Christ, who though He is in the form of God, empties and gives Himself away, even to the point of death. Death on the cross. Jesus is God's indescribable gift given to save and heal and reconcile our world. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that suddenly helps you to see everything with brand new eyes? Well, that's what seems to be happening for Lydia this morning by the river with Paul as he tells her about the God whom she already knows and about the Christ whom she very likely does not know about. And her heart is suddenly opened wide by God to God. And soon Paul is baptizing Lydia and her whole family right there in the river. No 13-week baptism class for them. (laughs) And in that moment, Lydia becomes our first known European convert to the beautiful way of Jesus. And we can only imagine Paul later on walking home with his friends, praising God and exclaiming, Dear Lord, what a day. What a day. You just never know what's going to happen. So let's just pause here a moment. Pull back the lens and... Look at the big picture of what is happening here in the early church. 
After his resurrection, you'll remember, Jesus promises his followers that the Holy Spirit is soon coming to empower them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to all people. And in these early churches, you get the idea that they have absolutely no idea what that means at first. And what we sense instead is their radical openness to being led and guided by the Holy Spirit. Their beautiful willingness to flow with God. And in Antioch last Sunday, the Holy Spirit leads them to share the gospel with Gentiles of every race and ethnic group, some from as far away as Central Africa. Wow. And in the process, something new and riveting is created, a multiracial and multi-ethnic church. They're flowing with God. You have the feeling that if God had told them this at the outside, they would, or at the beginning, they might not have flowed with God. And then here in Philippi, the Holy Spirit leads them to the formation of a church with a woman as one of its new leaders. And lo and behold, the same thing happens with Priscilla in Rome, with Phoebe in Kencrie, in Chloe, in Corinth. The Holy Spirit gifts women to play leading roles in all of these new congregations. What is happening, dear friends, is that the Holy Spirit is leading these early churches to turn their ancient world upside down. Or perhaps right side up. And to start living together like God intends. They are to be God's new contrast community to the empire. Churches where there is no longer Jew or Greek Slave or free, male or female. And the sad thing is that in some of the later New Testament writings, we already see the church begin to waver and even to turn back from this radical vision. And so 2,000 years later, here we are, still trying to catch up with the trailblazing ways of these first Spirit-led churches. Still trying to catch up with the vision that we see in them. I invite you to open your Bible now to our two readings from Acts 16. Or to turn on your device, I guess I should start saying. 
and your neighbors will keep you honest about staying on that particular page. Now, the word that kept on jumping out at me all week in verse 14 is the word open. The Lord opened Lydia's heart to listen to all that Paul had to say. And then in Adrian's reading from Philippians 4.15, we learn that those who open their hearts to God are soon opening their hands to share generously with others. And in that letter, Paul says that no other church has more generously shared with him than the folks in Philippi. Even after he leaves, they keep on sending him gifts. And Epaphroditus, that guy whose name is hard to say, is a member of their church who has come and brought Paul more gifts from them. These folks are generous. And in 2 Corinthians 8, we also hear about their lavish generosity to the Jewish church in Jerusalem during their time of distress and need. So in Philippi, we see that those who open their hearts to God, open their hands to others, and in our story in Acts 16, we also see them opening their homes and their lives in hospitality to each other. Just as Christ has welcomed them, so they now welcome each other. And in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that we will know his followers not by all the beautiful words that they say, but by the fruit that they bear in their lives love and joy and peace and kindness. And in Lydia's case, we don't have to wait around long for this fruit-bearing to become very clear and evident. Right after her baptism, she welcomes Paul and his friends to come stay in her home. Her hospitality is the fruit of a heart opened by God. And later in this story, in verse 18... Paul sets a slave girl free from an evil spirit and ends once and for all her ability to tell fortunes. And this slave's owners drag Paul and Silas then to the authorities where they are promptly stripped and then beaten with rods. Just think about that for... Visualize that. Here we see the empire's unjust economic interests lashing out at those who bring God's liberation and healing. And look at verse 40. The amazing thing here is that even after these two are released released, and the cost of following Jesus now is so much more clear, Lydia still welcomes them 
back into her home. In Philippi, we see that those who open their hearts to God also open their homes and their lives to each other in hospitality. And what might this mean for our own congregation here at East Chestnut? Well, I checked my email, and last week, our dear fellowship commission sent us a note asking all of us as a congregation to renew our commitment to opening our homes to newcomers. And they're asking each of our households once or twice a year to share meals with new guests in our midst because nothing has a deeper impact on guests than a morning of worship followed by a meal shared at someone's table. Hospitality creates a safe space where we can be authentically ourselves and encounter God in each other. And recently, I want to tell you a story All right. So in that banquet room was a proposal before us to withdraw from our Mennonite denomination. A denomination that I love. And I can't imagine leaving. And so, going into that room, I already knew that my perspective was in the minority, in a group where most of the faces and the names were all new. And so, when you add all of this together, I went into that room feeling pretty anxious. But I left six hours later feeling quite differently. Because our day of discernment, to my great surprise, was very prayerful and included regular times. Every hour we stopped, we had times of silence and listened for the voice of God. The opinions expressed at my table were quite diverse. It wasn't one camp against the other, it was a whole range of perspectives, and we had conversation that was respectful, and people were really listening. The other thing that happened is that up front on the podium at a certain point, we heard two bishops passionately share their opposing views. Lloyd Hoover shared why we absolutely need to leave the denomination. And then Claire Good got up and said why we absolutely need to stay. Now when you hear that, and this kind of conversation is allowed, there's space for this, it changes the tone of the gathering. 
And then later on, representatives from all 20 of the tables were given a couple minutes to share at an open mic, and to my surprise, I was chosen to go up there and to speak for my table. (laughs) What I was experiencing, dear friends, was a deep kind of conversational hospitality. I knew if they called a vote, I would be on the losing end. But still, my minority view was honored and welcomed. I didn't feel manipulated. I didn't feel railroaded. And this sense of safety helped me in turn to listen to the concerns of others at the table and to hear how much they love the way of Christ as well. And it's my prayer that we can extend this same kind of conversational hospitality to each other here at East Chestnut these next four weeks as we talk about same-sex relationships. We want to create a safe space for each of us to share our stories and experiences and questions. And may the Holy Spirit help us to do this work with hearts and hands held wide open rather than tightly closed. And along the way, may we also be drawn into a deeper love for each other and the God who in Jesus Christ has so openly welcomed us. Amen.